Decisions, decisions. We make them every day. Little things like, what am I going to wear? Do I choose the skim latte or the double mocha with extra whip? Should I go to bed early or binge watch a whole season of shows? Of course, some decisions carry more weight, like, do we stay together or split up? Buy a house or rent? Get a dog or have kids in a minivan? Accept the new job or look for something better? So many decisions to make, and it's really hard to know which one is right. It helps when you know there are some things you just won't do. But what happens when God shuts a door? Who helps you when you're facing a tough choice? One decision could change the course of your life. The future is waiting at the door. Welcome, everybody, to all of our campuses today, meeting throughout the Twin Cities. Glad you could join us. I also want to welcome those of you who are watching online today around the country and world. Glad you could join us as well. In fact, I had a young man all the way from India meet me after the service this morning and just say, our family watches you every week. Just wanted to meet you in person. So uh, welcome to all of you who are online watching us. And then I'm especially impressed by those of you who are here today in person at one of our six campuses because it's such a gorgeous weekend in the Twin Cities and the Ryder Cup is uh, here in the Twin Cities and on television, and I'm the guy on the left there and enjoyed that day with uh, this guy from Texas a little bit and my son as well. But so glad you're all here today because this is the final message in our series called At the Door, and today's message is, who's at your door? Because when it comes to making great decisions that lead to a great life, it really, it really, really matters who's in your life helping you Along, All of us have individual abilities that enable us to solve problems and meet the demands of life. But I'm telling you, without, without the help and support of good people, good coaches, mentors, parents, uh, friends, and teachers, uh, we can only go so far on our own strength and power. In his fantastic new book called The Power of the Other, psychologist Henry Cloud says it this way. He says, your best and worst seasons were also about who was in that season with you, either for good or for bad, who is helping you, who is fighting you, who is strengthening or weakening you, these people are literally making you who you you are. Cloud says that your potential as a human being, mine as well, is either improved or diminished by the other people in our life, that the people we are closest to are either helping us or hurting us in our lives. So who is at your door? My dog is always at my door. Um, He's the first one waiting for me in the morning, the first one to fawn all over me whenever I come home from wherever I am. In fact, if I'm not ready for his excitement, he can take me out at the knees with a body slam. Just, I can't even get near my wife until my dog Blue just fawns and mauls all over me. He is always at my door. But last Sunday after church, I uh, came home from church, and he wasn't joyful at all. I, I walked through the door, and my wife said, I am so mad at your dog. And he was kind of tucked away over in the corner there. I said, why? She said, I have never been so mad at him. Steam was just rolling out of her ears. And I kind of smiled and chuckled because I get a kick out of that. She has a love-hate relationship with my dog. I said, well, what did he do? And she said, my, by the way, my wife takes him on a six-mile walk almost every single morning And she said, on our walk today, 
He pulled me into the weeds on Portland Avenue. He grabbed a dead squirrel, and he wouldn't let go of it. She said the squirrel's tail was sticking out of his mouth. Now, my dog weighs almost as much as my wife does, so if, she want, if he wants to disobey her, it's a losing battle. She said, I yelled at him. I pounded on his head, which is funny because he doesn't feel a thing with her little arms and little hands. She said, I grabbed his mouth and tried to pry his jaw open, which is totally useless because once he clamps down, it's, it's over. I said, well, then what? She said, people were driving by, must have thought I was a raving lunatic yelling at this stupid dog of yours. And then he swallowed it whole. I said, I said, <laughs> I said the whole thing. She said the whole thing. I am so mad at this dog. I said, well, what are you going to do? I said, when you're a dog, sometimes you just got to choke down a squirrel, <laughs> which made her even more mad. And I said, look at him. He knows you're upset, Adam. She said, I, I don't care. But she adores this dog. She can't live without him, I'm telling you. But the truth is, having a dog like ours is a real intrusion to your life. It's a problem. I mean, he is always in our face. He's always drooling at our food. He's begging for attention. My wife won't even sit down on our couch. It's so filthy from the dog laying on it. The only reason we put up with all of that is the upsides outweigh the downsides. His love and joy is so infectious, and the way he hunts pheasants is worth the whole deal, just watching him do that. And I think, honestly, it's a lot like our human relationships, if you'll stay with me on this. I mean, isn't it true? We are sometimes willing to put up with a difficult parent or a difficult spouse, boss, or friend because the upside outweighs the downside. In, in exchange for their companionship and support, we are willing to put up with all of their faults. But I'm telling you, there is a line. There is a line. If our dog just made messes and swallowed roadkill, but he couldn't hunt, that'd be a problem. We'd have a, we'd have a decision on our hands. Same way, if your spouse, boss, or friend just causes trouble and brings nothing positive to the relationship, that's a big problem that needs to be addressed or it's going to limit your ability to move forward. Now, it's a two-way street. Every relationship is. All of us are sinners. But I've said this many times before that life, gang, life really comes down to the relationships that are in your life. In fact, cover to cover, the Bible, the Bible is all about God's relationship that he wants with us and our relationship with each other. You know, when Jesus was pinned down on, on you know, somebody came to, what does it all come down to? Jesus said two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Make sure you have this relationship with God in place. And then love each other as yourself. I mean, life's all about relationships with our Heavenly Father and with other people. But it's also, the Bible is also about how sin entered the world. When Adam and Eve chose to disobey and break their relationship with God, and sin has tarnished every relationship since that original sin. The Bible says when Adam and Eve sinned, they were ashamed. They had never felt shame before. But now they broke that relationship 
with God, and the Bible says they were hiding from God. They were so embarrassed, so, so ashamed of their sin, it damaged that relationship with God. And then the Bible says they started blaming each other. You know, Adam blamed Eve, and Eve blamed the serpent, and they started fighting and got mad at each other, and their sin messed up their kids so badly that in a moment of rage, Cain murdered his brother Abel, the first two brothers on the planet, and one ends up killing the other one, and we've been fighting and killing each other ever since. I'm telling you, that's what sin does. Sin pits us against each other. It causes us to blame each other and hide and get jealous and fight and do unthinkable things to one another. The Bible talks about this, describes the effect of sin on humanity in Romans 1, 29. This was, this was written over 2,000 years ago, but it sounds like the nightly news. They've become full of wickedness, evil, and greed. They are full of envy, fighting, deceit, and malice. They are slanderers and God-haters. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents all the time. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. I'm telling you, that right there is not solved by a government program. That is not solved by a government policy or some politician. There is no amount of education or money that can turn a ruthless, faithless, God-hating person into a kind, loving, faith-filled person. It's only by the love and power of Jesus Christ, gang, only God can change a human life. And so what God did, he sent his only son, Jesus, into this mess to overpower sin. He paid the penalty of our sin with his death on the cross, and then he broke the curse by raising again in the resurrection, telling you Jesus Christ is the world's only hope of overcoming sin and restoring relationships that sin has messed up. But because of sin, there are no perfect relationships. Do you know that? There's no perfect marriage. There's no perfect friendship. There's no perfect boss or roommate. Nobody is perfect. But I'm telling you, there is a level of sinfulness that nobody should tolerate. Some people in this world, sadly, are intentionally hurtful. They are intentionally deceptive. They are intentionally abusive and have no intent of changing. And when sin crosses over into things like abuse and rage and blatant deceit, I'm telling you, watch out. That person is not relationship material. You need to protect yourself, put up some clear boundaries, and stay clear of that person. So what I'm asking all of you to do at all campuses and online today is really think about the people who are in your life, and especially those who are closest to you, because the people in your life have great influence on your life. Those closest to you are either helping or hurting you. And I know that you know none of us got to choose our parents or relatives. And some of us completely struck out in those categories. I understand that. But then here's the other question. Who are the other people then who you've invited into your life? If your parents and relatives are just a train wreck, then who are the other people that you've invited into your life because whoever's at your door, I'm telling you, has power in your life 
for good or for bad. So I'm going to frame this up today into, into two questions. And the first question is this. Who are the great people? Who are the great people in your life? I mean, when you think about the people who have helped you and made a significant impact on you, who are they? Who are your heroes? What are their names? You might only have one or two because often the list is very short. In fact, the Apostle Paul, who wrote much, much, of the, much of the New Testament, was in prison writing a letter to the church in Philippi. And I love what he says about his friend Timothy. Look what he says. If the Lord is willing, he's writing to the church in Philippi, I hope to send Timothy to you soon. I have nobody else like him. Such a special man. He has proved himself like a son with his father. He has helped me in preaching the good news. Paul says he has nobody else like Timothy. Even for Paul, the list of great people is very short. He says, Timothy's like a son to me. Timothy encourages me. He lifts me up. He helps me do my work well. Who's that for you in your life? Who lifts you? Who encourages you? Who is, who is behind you rooting for you? In his book, Destiny, T.D. Jake says, greatness inspires greatness. As soon as I read that phrase, I wrote down in the margin of the book, book, who are the great people in my life who have helped me become or are helping me become great? And then I wrote down 10 people who have been or continue to be the greats who have helped me uh, exceed my limits, really, beyond what I could ever do my, by myself. My dad made the list. My wife made the list. Several of them are colleagues and friends. One is a counselor, and three of them are pastors. Most of these 10 people I know personally. One or two of them I don't know personally. I just know them from reading their books and listening to them speak. All of them are Christians. But gang, without a doubt, I would not be where I am today. I would not be doing what I am doing today were it not for those 10 great people who taught me, challenged me, loved me, and led me to become a somewhat accomplished person. Kind of breaks down like this for me. I thought about how to show this to you. So these are these 10 greats who have helped me all through life or in part of my life. But I also have some close friends. A couple of these friends are also in this category of, of the greats who are ahead of me and smarter than me and better than me in many categories. But some of these friends are just, you know, we're just mutual friends. And then there's another category of people, those that I'm actually trying to help or hopefully I'm trying to help as well. But the question is, who are the great people in your life who are helping you become a better person, a better student, a better parent, a better business person? Who are the people you would say, you know what, if it weren't for that person, there's no way. I'd be where I am today. T.D. Jake says, if you're the brightest person in your circle of associates, you need a new circle. And that's kind of bold. But you need to add somebody to your life who's ahead of you so you can get better. John Maxwell calls this the law of the inner circle. The law of the inner circle, this is so good. The law of the inner circle is a person's potential is determined by those closest to you. This is so, so true. Your potential in anything 
is determined by those who are closest to you. What Jakes and Maxwell are saying is that the quality of your life is largely determined by the quality of the people in your life. So look around your circle of friends. If you are surrounded by mainly foolish people, that's a big problem for you that needs to change. Of course, we all have not so great people in our lives, and as believers, those of us who are believers in Christ, part of our responsibility is to be loving and helpful to those who struggle. You know, central to the Christian faith is to help those who didn't have the financial or spiritual advantages that some of us did. You know, Jesus said, if you love only those who love you, what good is that? And so all of us ought to be investing in other people. But what I'm talking about today is your inner circle. The people you've intentionally chosen and invited into your life who are smarter, better, and more spiritually wise than you, who are those people? Because Proverbs says this, walk with the wise and you'll become wise. But a companion of fools will just suffer on every level. If all your companions are fools, you're just going to suffer through life. So who are the greats in your life helping you become great? Second question is this. What's great in you? So who are the greats helping you, but then what, what is great in you? In other words, what are the qualities in your life that others would be attracted to? Because relationships that are mutually beneficial are, to, are a two-way street, meaning both parties have to bring value to the relationship. Now, early in my life, I was incredibly selfish in my relationships, and I sought to gain something from people without giving anything back. And so, you know, I wanted people to teach me and encourage me and help me and support me without me doing anything to help or support or teach them. It's incredibly selfish. I'm embarrassed to tell you this. I used to walk through the door at night, and my wife would ask me in a very cheerful manner, Bob, how was your day? And I would just grunt. Wouldn't even give a verbal response, just grunt or complain about my day. I brought no energy or joy to my marriage during this season in my life, or even my kids. I was just a downer. You know, same with meetings. How many of us just show up and just sit there, disengaged, and bring nothing to the other person? I mean, you gotta bring something. Because the way you attract other people who are growing and achieving and moving forward is to be a person yourself who is also growing and achieving and trying to move forward. John Maxwell calls this the law, the law of magnetism. Again, this is so, so good. Who you are is who you attract. Now, when I, when I read that myself, I kind of looked around. I thought, who's, who's around me? Because that's really a reflection of who I am. Who you are is who you're going to attract. If you're a good student, you're going to attract other good students. If you're, if you're an athlete, you'll attract athletes. If you're a solid Christian following Christ, you're going to attract other people who are solid Christians following Christ. But if you are an apathetic, lazy fool, guess what you're going to attract? Apathetic, lazy Fools who aren't going anywhere in life and don't care. I'm telling you, the problem is, however, people get used to their personal dysfunction 
and oftentimes don't see the bad qualities that they have. They think their qualities are normal and good. The other day, I got to laugh about this, uh, campus pastor Coon Rapids, Aaron Damjanovich, and I grabbed a ride with Jason Strand uh, from our offices to Lionel Lakes campus. We had a staff meeting. And most of you know that Jason has four young kids, so I cut him a little slack on this. But I jumped into his front seat, and it was unlike anything I've ever seen in my life. I mean, there was chocolate sauce smeared all over the doors, ketchup and mustard stains all over the seats, just layers of crud everywhere I looked. I said, Jason, look at your car. He said, what? He didn't even see it. Didn't even phase him. I, Aaron found a crusty old bowl of oatmeal under the back seat. There was a peach pit and french fries that had been there for five years. And I couldn't put my finger on it, but something definitely smelled awry. But Jason has gotten so used to this. Didn't even notice. Thought it was normal. He actually said, I don't think it's that bad. It's bad. I'm telling you, it's bad. But that's how it can be. You know, you can get so used to your own mess that you think it's perfectly normal. Everybody else can see it's a train wreck. Everybody else can see the yelling and cheating and cursing and manipulating that you think is normal. And here's the deal. It is normal for people who are stuck in an endless cycle of dysfunction and failure. And again, some of us had a huge disadvantage with no support, lousy parents who didn't put a value on godliness and personal responsibility. And I get it. I get it. But then here's my challenge. What are you going to do to turn that around? What are you going to do to stop the cycle of bad behavior and dysfunction and carve out a different path for your life? What choices and steps will you take to leave that past behind and improve yourself? Because here's the hard truth, gang. Nobody is going to improve your life for you. Nobody is going to go to work and be diligent and honest for you. Nobody is going to go to school and study hard for you. Nobody's going to attend church and read the Bible for you. Nobody's going to get a counselor session for you. So, what are you going to do to improve yourself so that you can start adding value? to others in your life. I, I cannot tell you how critical these two questions are to your future and to your success. Who are the greats helping you become great? And what's great in you or becoming great in you that other great people would be attracted to? Who's at your door is the ball game. Now, I realize that as I ask those two questions, some of you are feeling hopeless about that you're feeling a little sad and maybe even a little angry because you're sitting here thinking or watching. You're sitting, you're sitting here saying, Bob, I don't have any greats. I mean, I look at my life. There's nobody great in my life. My parents bailed. My siblings are a mess. Nobody ever taught or invested in me. You talk about having an inner circle. What inner circle? Consequently, I don't have anything great to offer other people. I've made bad choices. I get that. But I'm pretty much stuck where I am without much hope. For a better life. Now again, if you're saying that to yourself, I do understand. 
that some of you are dealt a bad deal. I know that. But you don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay stuck. God never puts an age limit on spiritual growth or achievement. Every day you get is a new chance for you to step away from the old life and step toward the new. There is always, always, always a step you can take or a door you can go through. Look at the Psalms say about this. The steps of the godly are directed by the Lord. This word steps means that it's a process. Spiritual growth and character development is a process that all of us need to take steps toward. So many people are looking for a quick fix. They're looking for an easy answer. I'm telling you, there are no quick fixes to character development or spiritual growth. But no matter who you are, you can take a new step and go through a new door and then go through another one. And after about a thousand new steps and a thousand new doors, you're gonna notice something about your life that you have begun to change for the better. And you are beginning to attract people who also have great character and depth to their life. But you know what? The most important step any of us will ever take, the most important door you'll ever walk through is Jesus himself. Jesus said, I am the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Not just when you die, this word saved or salvation is about bringing redemption to our lives in the, present, in the present tense right now, healing, forgiveness, hope, peace of heart, peace of mind. Jesus, gang, is the door. He is the entrance to a new life of forgiveness and healing. He is the first step. You simply can't become a great person at anything without entering the door of faith in Jesus Christ. And I've seen this so many times. You can be financially successful and absolutely fail in all the things that matter in life if you don't have Jesus Christ, if you don't have his transforming love and power in your life. You can be very successful financially and be an absolute failure in your family, and your marriage, and the things that really, really matter. I want to I close out this series by telling you about my friend Nicole. Nicole volunteers at our Lionel Lakes campus, and her role as a volunteer is really, really important to me because she sends all the words and the images from some back room back here, and it kind of looks like this is the room, and she has, to, she has to time it just right. And I don't even know half the time when I'm in a you know, look at something over here, but she has to kind of predict what I'm going to do, and she does a fantastic job. Nicole drives 35 miles to our church one way from Burnsville, and she's helped me in this role for five years. Last, two weeks ago, I just asked her about her life, just if she had some time to tell me. Grew up in Chicago, she said, then Rockford with no dad. A mom who was unable to care for her and her three siblings, by age eight, she was in foster care where she was abused repeatedly. From age 13 to 16, she was taken in by an aunt who led her to church and led her to faith, but her aunt was so 
severely abusive to her, that she ended up running away at age 16, completely on her own. She ended up in, a, in Moline, Illinois, where she lived in a halfway house for teenagers, somehow finished high school, and realized that if she was going to make it, she would have to do it all on her own. Amazingly, she put herself through college by working different jobs. And when I asked Nicole about the greats in her life, it took her a while to think of somebody. Finally, she thought of a single professor, not a family member, not a friend, a single professor who saw that she had a gift for writing. That was all the encouragement Nicole needed. Soon she was employed as a journalist and a news writer. And today, at age 43, she works at Park Nicollet, unbelievably, as a business operations supervisor. Again, she attends our church, volunteers. But she says that it was her faith in Jesus Christ that saved her. In her own words, she says, my past experience was not my choice, but here I am. I don't feel like I'm a success, but somewhere deep down, I still believe God has a plan for me. When God says he plans to prosper and not harm me for some reason, I still believe that. She says, I hope anybody who's experienced what I have on earth believes that too. Jesus Christ is the only source of reliability that I know, she says. I'm listening to this story a couple weeks ago, just melting. And two things struck me. First thing is, I've had every advantage known to man. I had great parents, great upbringing, mentors and teachers, colleagues. I've had an endless stream of great people helping me. And so have many of you. And as I listened to Nicole, it was just a wake-up call. Bob, pay attention to the people who could use your help. It took me five years to ask Nicole about her story. It's completely unacceptable. So it's a wake-up call. Second thing that impressed me as I listened to Nicole is if you're a person who had a rough start, I would challenge you to look for a mentor or a counselor or a small group group who can help you take the next step and move forward. There are good people all around you who would be honored. They would just be honored if you would ask them, would you help me? Would you meet with me a few times to help me become a better person, a better friend, parent, whatever? Gang, it's never too late to look for somebody who can help you move forward in life. And now, finally, I actually want you to meet Nicole in person. And she did not want to come out here to see you. I mean, but she agreed to do it, and I'm, I'm so proud of her. And so would you help me welcome Nicole just briefly? Come on. Hi, Bob. Nicole, you are a shining example of someone who didn't get a good start, didn't have a lot of great people, but you made it. And through your faith in Christ and just through a couple of people who paid attention, God's been good and God brought you through. I am so proud of you, Thank you. for who you are.
Thank you. <laughs> and I, what I believe, what God wants to do in your life, I'm excited. I think this is a, as I said before, I think this will be a new first step for you. But there are folks here, maybe, who had a similar start, and it was tough. So do you have any word, just briefly, of encouragement to those here who might struggle as well? Sure. Um, I think I would say first to someone that experienced what I have, um, do not lose heart. Um, I'd say don't lose hope. I'd remind them that Jesus overcame this world, and so can you. Um, and I would, you know, refer them to a verse that I, I have live by and try to live by every day, and that's trust in the Lord with all your heart. Uh, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, look to him, and he will direct your path. Yeah. I believe it. I do too. So proud of you. Yeah. Yeah. No matter who you are, there are steps you can take. There are doors you can walk through. And if you knew the full story, you'd just be completely amazed. Um, you know, just a little bit ago, I said the most important door any of us can ever walk through is the door of faith in Jesus. And I know most of you have put your faith in him, but some of you probably haven't yet. And I'm so glad you're here. But if you want a new start in life, if you want to experience salvation, not just when you die, but, but a new heart, forgiveness, you know, a, a, a companion, a friend who will never leave you, even in your most dark, lonely moments. My daughter-in-law is over in Asia right now. She's been on a 10-day trip, and it's, it's hard, and she's alone. But she's not alone because Christ is with her. And she leans into him every single day and finds her strength and her hope. And my son is here and he's the same and he's with his friends. I'm so proud of you young people in their 20s who are following Christ. And those of you who are doing that, we would never do it any other way. And so, if you're here today at all campuses or even online, I just want to close in a brief prayer. And again, I know the Ryder Cup is on, so just hang tight. But this is a very, very important moment for a lot of people. And this is your moment of coming through the door of faith, being saved, having a new hope and a new life. So let's pray real quick. Father, thanks so much at all campuses. Thank you so much for your goodness and grace. No matter what happened in the past, God, we can start anew today. And so for those of you who are ready to do this, just pray this prayer quietly where you are. God knows your heart. You don't have to pray it out loud, but just breathe these words in faith right where you're seated, right where you're watching at your computer. Jesus, this is my day. I am putting my full trust in you as my Savior, my God, and my friend. Thank you for dying for my sins and raising again, proving that you are God. You are supreme over all. 
Lord Jesus, forgive me of all my sins. Forgive me of ignoring you and not walking through this door sooner. But right now, I am walking through the door of faith in you. And as I do that, Jesus, as I put my faith and trust in you, thank you for saving me, not by works. By grace, I am saved through faith. You're my Lord. You're my Savior. From this day forward, I will worship you and follow you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, way to go. We want to help you. You can text this, text BELIEVE to 555-888, and we want to help you out if you want to do that. But God bless you. Thanks for coming out, everybody.